religious leaders. So, um, great to have you with us. Now, um, last week, uh, uh, last week, last time we were here, whenever that was, um, uh, Tim zoomed off afterwards. Not like some of you who are going to zoom off tonight to watch the X Factor finals. <laughs> I've already had serious threats about going on past quarter past seven. <laughs> uh, um, but, but those of you who are here at the youth service is what I'm saying. It was last week, wasn't it? Yeah. Was it just the will? Oh, yes, it was. Um, uh, and a great service. You know, aren't our young people magnificent? Um, and, uh, and yes, absolutely. And uh, I, I know that if Tim had been here, that some of you would have wanted to thank him for his message um, to us within part of that service. But Tim wasn't rushing off to see the X Factor or... Strictly come dancing. No, that's not quite your thing, is it? That's me. Yes, I know. That's me and my. Oh, all right. Uh, but I'd like him to tell you a little bit about where, what he was rushing off to do last week because some extraordinary things happened. Hello. Um, I went off to a youth service called Elevate that happens once a month on a first Sunday and, and it clashed with six o'clock last week, so I rushed off because it starts at seven. Um, and there was a speaker at the youth service called Julian Adams, whether any of you have heard of him. He's a guy from South Africa who's uh, he's a very anointed man, and he sort of does prophecy and things, and is very sort of anointed, and he was at a conference that was on being run by LCC for the weekend, and he stayed to do the youth service afterwards. And um, at the end of the talk, in the time of worship, uh, he was praying for me, and uh, he sort of said some really cool stuff about sort of what he sees me doing in the future and things like that. And um, so sort of he sort of spent his time going all around the world to churches, sort of preaching on the Holy Spirit and things like that. And uh, in prayer he said that he sees me doing the same sort of thing and then invited me to do a year out with him, which is quite cool. Mm, that's fantastic. And, and that came in a response also. There was a prophecy over you in the summer at New Day. Yeah, in um, an event I go to like a... What's the word? New Day. New Day. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's a uh, Christian conference for sort of teenagers. And uh, at the end of the last meeting, someone came up to me who I didn't know, and uh, just sort of came over and said, "Hi, you don't know me, but um, some point in the next year, I feel that God's going to give you a huge opportunity, and if you take it, uh, He'll really bless you for it." And then this sort of happened. So it doesn't seem coincidence. No, I don't think so. I'm going back, and we never told Tim. Uh, because you, you don't want to influence um, the, the working of the Holy Spirit in your children. Uh, but when Tim was five, uh, he was prophesied over at Living Water. Uh, and there it was said that, that he would be raised up to be a great man of God. And as we were singing to the ends of the earth, you know, uh, well, that could be you next year. And uh, uh, we'll pray for God's guidance. But, you know, we're talking about this wall being built, but it's symbolic of of the work of God being assembled, brick by brick, stone by stone. And he is always doing that. And, and, and these words for Tim are, are part of that. So that's really fantastic. And I'm going to pray for you. Will you allow me to? <laughs> it's good if I stand here. I'm, actually, I'm taller than you. For, for the first time. You know, <laughs> Thank you. It's my little boy. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, Father, we thank you for these words of prophecy, and uh, we want to follow your will, but we, we do thank and praise you uh, for, for, for raising up young men, young women uh, in our churches who will carry on the work and will take the word to the nations. And we pray for Tim that you would guide him over these next uh, months as he seeks to find your will, and that you will lead him clearly. Uh, but Lord, we're pretty sure this is something that, that he should do as we've talked about it. And pray that you would bless him enormously, but also many people through him. And that you will grow your gifting more and more in his life. So we give you thanks for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Exciting. And uh, Mike, I was talking to Mike, the leader at LCC, uh, about this and, and the, the conference they were having. And he was saying he hasn't known a time like it. Um, and uh, 
you know, we've all been feeling that, that, that uh, the Lord is on the verge of doing stuff in Lowestoft, the like, likes that maybe haven't been seen since the 1920s. And, and uh, we need to keep that in prayer and keep looking for the signs of revival in our midst. So there we are. Right. Anyway, Nehemiah. There he is. Three contractors were touring Buckingham Palace on the same day, one from Manchester, another from Liverpool, third from Edinburgh. At the end of the tour, the guard asked them what they did, and they explained that they were all contractors, um, but that they, 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 they were fence builders. And the guard said, well, we need one of our back fences, one of our rear fences, redone here in Buckingham Palace. Why don't you look at, look at it and give me your bids? So the Manchester guy took out his tape measure and did some work and the measuring up and he said, right, the job will be about 900 pounds. That's 400 for materials, 400 for my crew and 100 profit for me, of course. Then the Liverpool contractor weighed in and he looked at it and thought, well, I reckon I can beat that. I'll, I'll, I can do it for, for 700. 300 for the materials, 300 for my crew and 100 profit for me. And then he asked the contractor from Edinburgh, uh, for his bid. And without batting an eye, the contractor says £2,700. The guard is incredulous. He says, you didn't even measure it up. How do you come up with such a high figure, totally divorced from the ones we've just heard? Well, that's easy, says the contractor. That's 1000 for me, 1000 for you, and we hire the guy from Liverpool to do the work. <laughs> Well, they didn't have contractors in on this wall, <laughs> but we are at the stage now of the wall being rebuilt. If you haven't been following this, I can't sort of go back and do a complete, um, you know, uh, a, a re, re go over all of the territory that we've, we've followed so far. But, but we know that Nehemiah, or we have learned that Nehemiah was one of the exiles. He'd heard that the wall in Jerusalem was still broken down, and as they'd rebuilt the temple, he knew that they were in mortal danger of invasion. And so he takes a group back, and we've, we've learned about how he put everything um, in his mind. He went round, he did measure up, and he did work out what it was all going to, in a sense, cost in terms of human resources and time. And if you, uh, there's the picture of the wall, um, or a model of the wall. That's what it should look like when they were finished. But at this stage, it was all ruined. Um, and I talked about how in anything that we do in the Christian church, before we, before we embark upon it, we need to have a theology. And by that, I mean God reasons for doing stuff. You know, God saying, uh, knowing in our hearts, knowing in our spirits exactly what it is that God wants us to do. And then you have to have a model of, of, of how you're going to go about it. And that's what we looked at last time. And that's what Nehemiah was doing as he rode round the, uh, uh, the, the, the ruined wall and as he worked out what they were going to do. And it's then, and only then, that you have a practice where you actually say, right, folks, this is how we're actually going to do it. Um, and so last time we looked at the model, there he is wandering around uh, the walls of Jerusalem. And if you remember... At last, when he's got everything clear in his mind, he gathers the people together and he challenges them. And he says, don't you see the trouble that we are in? Look at it. Don't you see the trouble we are in? And then the challenge for them to get with him and to rebuild, to come and rebuild so that they would no longer be ashamed. Uh, and that's more or less where we left it last time. So they are on the verge, on the verge of setting out on this mammoth project. But he reminded them that as they did, that the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants and we will start rebuilding. So that's where we are. We are at the do it stage. Now the point at which you have to get off your backside and start working. Because it does seem to me that very often people are full of God reasons and theology. <laughs> and they're often full of a model of how to do things. And people, you go on conferences, unlike the one Tim was at, it was, a, you know, you go to these things that tell you how to do it all the time and tell you the God reasons for doing it. 
And then you look in the church press and you look in Christian magazines and you look at the number of different conferences there are and all the things that people can uh, do and the resources available. And you think, well, then why aren't we flooding the nation with the gospel? And one of the reasons is, is because we're spending too much time sitting around talking about what we need to do. There comes a point when you simply have to do it. You have to get your hands dirty and start working. And that's what we see in this glorious chapter. I have to tell you, I looked at chapter 3 and thought, what am I going to preach about? Because <laughs> it's just sort of a list of gates and names of people. Uh, and then the more I read it and the more I looked in, into it, you know, the, the, the more the chances of you seeing the X Factor finals are receding. Because... <laughs> Because there's a huge amount in here. Um, and, and it challenged me again about the Bible, that sometimes, you know, we have our favorite bits. And then many of you are going to do the Bible in a Year project, aren't you, next year? We're going to read through the Bible in a year. And already I'm sort of gearing myself up for Leviticus and Numbers. <laughs> and you think, why is this stuff in the Bible? Because it's so boring. And yet, if you get under the cracks and under the surface and start with the Holy Spirit looking into it, all sorts of things. Nothing is there that shouldn't be there. And, uh, you know, and it might just be a word for a for hundred years in one chapter that's needed, uh, but it's all there for a reason. Okay, now then, how about this? Someone once said, the greatest waste of time is the waste of time getting started. How's your list of DIY jobs around the house? <laughs> when, when we came, we set a list, um, Caroline and I, of all the things that needed to do, uh, that needed to do in the two weeks before I was, um, whatever happens to you, inducted, licensed, entrapped, <laughs> manacled, I don't know, can't, anyway, whatever happens and what... <laughs> And we had this huge list, and then Caroline went off to work and left me to it. <laughs> because it was term time, fair dues. And I worked like mad and got loads of it done. And then there were about four or five things that just didn't get done. Four and a half years later, <laughs> they're still there on the list. I think I've thrown the list away, actually. It is true, isn't it? Do you know those jobs sometimes that have been hanging around for ages? And finally you do them. And they take you five minutes, and you think, why didn't, why didn't I do that? And, and this just-do-it business, I mean, it's true in the world at large, but in the Christian faith, it's particularly true. Because actually there is someone who doesn't want you to do it, if it's a work of God. And there is someone who will throw every obstacle in your way, and the biggest obstacle can just be that, well, I can't really be bothered. <laughs> or I've got something else to do. Or, and so that important thing slips away. If God calls you to do something, and you've got your theology, you know, what, what, you know that God is behind it, and you know how to do it, then do it. <laughs> do it. Get going. Get on with the job. Right, well, how does he go about this job? I, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at Nehemiah 3. I'm not going to read it because it is just a list of names and gates, uh, but very important names and very important gates. But uh, read through it afterwards if you've got time, uh, with, with, you know, armed with what I've given you to sort of unlock it a little bit. Okay, now the interesting thing is that he starts... The building, where actually, you know, he's getting on with it. There was all that time where he was planning, but now he's ready to get going. They really get going, and nothing is wasted. And here we go, chapter 3. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Okay? Now, there are ten gates in Nehemiah's wall, ten gates, and they're all mentioned in this chapter, and each of them has a working party on it, and off they go. Uh, I'm glad, you know, would you like the dung gate? <laughs> I think I mentioned that last time. It's just marvellous, you know, the dung gate. Now, why was it called the dung gate? You know, was, it, did, was that the only place that the camels went to the toilet or something? And, uh, you, uh, little things intrigue me like that, uh, but I'm afraid I haven't got a great spiritual message from the dung gate for you. 
Uh, but what I would like to say is, why the gates? Why the gates? If, if you look at the chapter, you know, you see in, in verse 1, it's, uh, it's the sheep gate. And then in verse 3, it's the fish gate. And so it goes on. Uh, and there they are up behind me. I don't know if they're visible. Oh, yeah, they are just about. Um, why? the gates, because surely with all of the enemy out there, you'd want to get the walls up first. Any ideas? Why, why start with the gates? Graham. Okay, so, so that's certainly true, because the, 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 it says all the, the gates had been burned with fire. So yeah, it was, in and out was easy. So uh, yes, it was possible perhaps to defend parts of the wall even though they were broken down. Yeah, I'm no architect, but I wonder if it was to do with that. Something to do with strength, getting the strong points ready first, because that speaks into how we build anything, doesn't it? You know, get those strong points. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, not sort of, I'm not an architect, and, I, and I'm not actually a, an artist. I know whenever I start to, to do anything artistic, which is not very often, um, you know, I sort of start with the detail. That's no good, because you have to get the broad sweep or something, don't you, and, and, and the overall plan. Yes, Anne. Well, that's very sensible. Yeah, so Sam's saying if, if, if you build up the wall but you've left the gates open, then the enemy can still get in. And we were talking last time about, you know, the enemy, that right from the word go, um, the, the, the enemy was wanting to get in. So, so all of those things, I think, yeah. Um, Jilly. Hmm. Yes, so, so, so getting, you know, using the materials, I said, that, that would make sense. Hmm. Because they are the lifeblood of the city, aren't they? The ins and the outs, and, and, and something about that in a moment. Okay, so gathering points, yeah. And there must be something about the lines of the wall as well that means, you know, you do the gates and then you've got to join up the other bits. Uh, so it's focusing on the overall plan is what I'm trying to get at through, through some of this. And, 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 and that's always important and critical in our work of mission. Okay. Yes, yeah. Right. So, so that was ready and that needed to be used. Um, and also, I just wonder uh, about, you know, the gates. If you think of uh, the gates that are left of old city walls and town walls in our country, they were always sort of a source of pride. You know, the special gates and the gate where the king came through and, and somehow restoring that pride um, in, 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 in the work was possibly important. Uh, what I would want to say, because all of those things are, are right, I think, and we're speculating here, but can I speculate a little bit more? I mean, what are gates for? <laughs> coming in and coming out. I mean, they're for defense. We've already talked about that. Um, and I said, didn't I, a, a few weeks ago about how, you know, it was fairly typical that they got the, the temple sorted out first without any thought to the outside community. And in building the church, particularly in building the church in a time when most people don't come to church on a regular basis, if at all, that isn't it absolutely vital that we concentrate on the goings out and the comings in? <laughs> because I think there are some churches where it's quite possible that the wall is in very good order indeed. <laughs> it's in such good order that there are no gates <laughs> because everything is about us in here. And the gates speak to me of mission. 
and that we need to think very carefully, and we're going to be doing it next year after Easter, we're having a whole series on hospitality where we think in terms of just how easy is it for people to come in to our churches and just how much are we prepared to go out. Now, I think we are doing it more and more and it rejoices my heart to see some of the work that's going on. I'll share with you. I, I had two Christmas dinners this week. <laughs> Tis the season to be fat. <laughs> Wednesday and Thursday. A uh, uh, very good Christmas dinner at the Young at Heart uh, at, at St. Luke's on Wednesday, wasn't it? Uh, and someone said to me, I was sitting next to a lady called Lily. <laughs> You've got the measure of Lily already. <laughs> Lily is great, great fun. Um, takes no hostages. Says it how it is. Um, but her boiler had broken down a few weeks previously. And she'd been trying to get the council out and all sorts of people to do. Uh, and she said that Joe had rung her up and said that we, you know, we, we could provide heat for her. And she said the rest of them, absolutely useless. It was only the church that offered help practically when I needed it. Now, now that, that's a little thing we might say, but it's not a little thing. It's a massive thing for the kingdom of heaven. Because somebody out there is, is, is thinking that and saying it to other people. Here are the church and they helped me. See, that's going out. These community, you know, that's going out. About 300 people on the quayside in Alton Broad at the carol service at four o'clock. I'm just about in contact with my big toe again after the cold. But it's us out there. We must think about our goings out and our comings in. How easy is it for people to come in? Because we think it's easy. Do you know what one vicar did? And I'm almost tempted to do it. I'll probably have rebellion. He took all of his PCC into a betting shop. <laughs> Got to do it. Took them all into a betting shop. And as they all felt terribly awkward <laughs> and wondering what on earth they were meant to be doing or not meant to be doing, he said to them, that's how the majority of the population feel when they step in through our doors. We've got... <laughs> You know, we've got to get with it, with the times. And I think the fact that he spent all this time, uh, first of all, getting the ins and outs right, speaks volumes to us as we are building church. Could say more. Let's go, keep moving. But what I, you know, people always say, well, we need to get new people in, so let's change the services. Pointless. How will they know? <laughs> How will they know? Here we are. We've got a marvellous service. And it's all modern hymns, and, uh, or it's traditional hymns, and, or it's, uh, and, and we've got PowerPoint, and we've got a croissant, and we've, got all the, and we've changed the service. We've made it marvellous. Well, where are they? Well, they don't know. <laughs> because no one's invited them. Or we may have put it in the newspaper. All right, and I have stopped now doing things outside the church, saying, everyone welcome. Not because they're not welcome, but because it's pointless. <laughs> we have to be a little bit more powerful in the way we think about allowing people in. Okay, so, starts with the gates. Much more co I could say on that. I'm not going to. We move on. And then we get these names. Names, names, names. I was going to count them all up, and then I didn't. Um, but loads of names. And you think, well, why? Why? Why all these names? Well, simply this. People are important. <laughs> these are the people doing the work. And here are some of them. Uh, Jashana Gate was repaired by Joada. This is the sort of reading that you love if you're, if, if you, if you're reading the lesson. <laughs> uh, and... Passier and Meshulam, son of Bezodiana. They laid its beams, put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah. 
Melatia of Gibeon, etc., etc. And you think, well, why didn't he just say a group of people rebuilt the Dung Gate? That'll do. That's all I need to know, God. You could make the Bible shorter. <laughs> we could get through it in 11 months, you know. Let's get rid of this nonsense. Well, it's not, is it? Because these are people. <laughs> people that Christ died for. People that are important. People that are treasure. I've shared before this. Um, I'm, I'm sure I've shared this at six, but, but I'm going to share it again. And if I haven't, well, there we are. I'm sharing it now. These are the words said by a priest or said to a priest at her or his ordination. Have always printed in remembrance how great a treasure is committed to your charge. For they are the sheep of Christ, which he bought with his death and for whom he shed his blood. Treasure. I've spoken about it before, but we must never forget it. People are not inconveniences. People are treasure. And so they're all mentioned. And of course they're not all mentioned. Uh, Even the names that we've got isn't the totality of the hundreds, perhaps thousands of people that were working. But the reason we have these names, I believe, is to remind us just how important people are. And you begin to see how Nehemiah has done it. In all his riding around and, and his getting his small group, he has identified key people, key leaders, who will then gather people around them and enable the work to be done. And that's how it always works. Teams of people. It's how it always works. You see, sometimes it can be in church that the, 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 apparently your main job as a church leader is to keep everybody happy. Well, A, it's impossible. <laughs> but B, it's not the work. It's not the work. I mean, I, I've never believed in going out and deliberately annoying people, although you may beg to differ. <laughs> But it's, when, I'm, when I stand before God to give account for my leadership in the Church of Christ, which I will do, God will not say to me, well, Ian, did you keep everybody happy? <laughs> I think he will say, did you do my will? And so here he is looking for the people who will work and will be able to gather other people around him. Because for this project, he needed spirit-filled leaders. And the project is no different, different now as we seek to build the church. People who have that ability to focus on what God wants and to gather people around them. And not people who are interested in their own agenda or their own power base, or their own sort of petty little things. You know, I mean, we we get all that all the time because it's part of human nature. But but can you see what he's doing here? He he is focusing in on, on, on people who are able to gather people around them and get the job done. See, our church in the West has become, and I think it's changing now, but it's become very individualistic. And it's all about you know, me and my relationship with God and using my gifts. It was going to be no good to Nehemiah if you know, there was this guy came up and said, Nehemiah, I am the answer to your prayers. Dungate, I will do. And I'll build a wall. But the only thing is, I want to build it over there, and it wants to be this shape, and I want to put hanging baskets on it, and, uh, and, uh, and I don't really want it to connect up with anybody else's wall, because that would spoil it, because my wall is beautiful. So I'll have my little wall over here. <laughs> now, I, might, I know I'm exaggerating, but, you know, I do, do get the feeling sometimes that people are thinking it's all about me and my ministry and my gifts, and here... He is looking for people who will be spirit-filled leaders who will contribute to the whole work of God, working together 
Now, I don't imagine that everything went smoothly. <laughs> and I bet there was a bit of competition as, as the people at the dung gate were saying, right, we're going to get our dung gate finished before the sheep gate lot because our gate's going to be better than their gate. You know, I mean, that's human nature. But in general terms and, and overarching all of it, that desire to do the will of God, I think, is what was driving people on. Sometimes in disputes in church, and thankfully we, we haven't had anything of this magnitude here yet, but you get the impression that there are people who would actually see the whole project of the church fall if they can't get their way. And they will have to account to Almighty God for that. Got to see what is the project, what does God want us to do. Okay, now then, this is all sounding very holy and marvellous. We have to also be realistic. Lovely little bit here in um, 3 verse 5. Um, this is where we're at the fish gate here. And in 3 verse 5, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Little verse, little verse, just tucked away. Uh, the next section was repaired. So the men of Tobiah, there they are. But the nobles, because they are being asked to work under other supervisors, they say, well, I'm not playing then. <laughs> not going to do it. Because <laughs> they wouldn't come under the authority of the spirit-filled leaders that Nehemiah had put in place. So I don't know what they did. I, I don't know if they, uh, they just sort of laid there being... <laughs> <laughs> the fat cats of Tekoa. <laughs> and they probably were there smoking their cigars and, uh, uh, and watching telly 4,000 years ago, whenever it was. <laughs> And moaning and saying, well, they'll, they'll never manage it without us, you know. <laughs> uh, these, uh, these supervisors, they're not trained like us, us nobles who are schooled and have an education. You know, you have to be realistic. There are going to be people that don't come on board and there are going to be people that sit by and criticize and who aren't going to get involved. And that's the same always in any work of the church. And you mustn't let it deflect you. <laughs> you have to get on, carry on, carrying on with what God has told you to do under the leadership of the church. Don't be deflected. You don't see Nehemiah rushing off to the noblemen of Tekoa to try and get them on board. It's okay. Off you go. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. You see, there are in the church... VIPs and VDPs. Have I shared this before? VIPs and VDPs. VIPs, very important people. They are the people who want to move on in their discipleship and really go for God and do what God calls them to do. The VDPs are the very demanding people who suck the energy out of everybody and whose agenda is their own agenda. Now, I've got to be careful here. I mean, I'm a vicar, aren't I? <laughs> and I'm meant to be pastoral. <laughs> well, I am. On Thursdays between 10 and 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> no, no. Well, we do have to be pastoral. And I've told, spoken before about how how for some the, the, the church is a hospital and then becomes a family and then it becomes a mighty army and, and, and you have to spend time in the hospital. Uh, you know, because people come to the church and they are often broken. And then, yeah, yeah, but that's not what I mean by very demanding people. The very demanding people are the bed blockers. <laughs> the ones who have got used to the hospital and liking it and not prepared to, to, to move out but like the attention that they get 
And so they suck in attention of key people and the work of God founders. Okay, how are we doing? All right, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, okay. Now, I'm not going to talk for 20 minutes. I'm just letting you X-factor people know, you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that cat is voting on the X-factor finalist tonight. There we are. Notice that he... <laughs> yeah, I've done quite well with my pictures tonight, haven't I? Pay attention to detail. <laughs> Can you all see? Yeah, yeah, I think it's nearer the front. The hairstyle has gone along with a hedge cutter and has taken off the tech. Probably can't see halfway back there. Paying attention to detail. You, you know, a lot of this chapter, as I said, a load of, a load of gates and a load of names, but it's, it's attention to detail. As you read it, and I'm not going to do it now because... Uh, you, you know, you need to look at this. But you can see that in each place, they're talking about bolts and they're talking about wood. And, you know, I'm one of these people, as well as those of you who are very practical now, I'll waltz into church and say, oh, it'd be marvelous if we could have that there. And then I go off and have a cup of tea <laughs> while somebody actually works out how to do it. You know, attention to detail is really, really important in the work of Christ. Now, that's why when we're doing a major project like the Holiday Club, we have planning meetings, um, and, and we, we really look at every detail, and we make sure that, if at all possible, nothing is missed. And some people will say, oh, no, no, we just need to flow in the Spirit. Well, that's just lazy. <laughs> yes, of course we've got to flow in the Spirit, but the, God has created us with minds to think and we actually have to look in detail at the things that we do and make sure that we do them as well as we possibly can. Attention to detail. Because whatever you do in your life should be done for the glory of God. And that's why in our cathedrals, you see, I've been up at the top of Westminster Abbey, um, uh, walking on the, what's the word? Roof. <laughs> that's it, walking on the roof. <laughs> and up there, you see ornate carvings and little gargoyles and beautiful work, and you think, nobody can see it. Well, God can. And you can know, almost, that the, 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 the men, and it would have been men in those days, that did that work, were doing it for the glory of God, I believe, in their own way because people couldn't see it, but God could, and they wanted to do the very best for God. And that should always be our aim in what we do. And it, that's in everything. You know, to the, to the planning of a mission, through to the making of the coffee, to the greeting of people. You know, everything we do should be done to the glory of God. Attention to detail. And everyone should get their hands dirty. Read into the list a little bit more. Uh, verse 31. Malkijah, working on one of the gates. What was he? He was a goldsmith. And was he there saying, well, I work in fine gold. I, I, I can't spoil my hands carrying these rough stones. And elsewhere, there's musicians. There's even priests getting their hands dirty <laughs> and working. And we should all be prepared to get stuck in. And sometimes, when a project has to be done, then you forget about your gifting, and you roll up your sleeves and you do it because it needs doing and God is calling the whole people of God to do it. Getting their hands dirty. Again, and I've said this before, you know, people coming and, and saying, well, I have this great ministry and, 
And so you say, right, well, why don't you start by cleaning the toilets? <laughs> and say, so, oh, no, 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 because my ministry is this. These people were all prepared to do things that they weren't necessarily skilled at or prepared for. But they knew it needed doing. And so they all worked together. And of course, that's the other thing. They did work together as a team. A team at each place. Now, all of you are involved in different teams in our church, whether it be a, a cell group, whether it be the children's workers or the band or, or any of the different teams, um, staff team, ministry team, PCC. All of those groups need to work together as a team. doesn't mean to say we, we will agree all the time. I don't mind people disagreeing with me. I'll get my way in the end. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Working at, you see, you know, business does this and they talk about teamwork, but, but in the church, it's our lifeblood. Because for goodness sake, if the church can't work as a team or in teams, who can? Because we're the ones that are meant to love one another. You know, uh, by this shall all people know that you are my disciples if you show love to one another. Now, we, we are the origin of teamwork. And we need to look to it, don't we? Because it's easy for the devil to get in and wreck that and, and spoil that work. So all of these things that I've spoken about help us not to allow that to happen. You know, if everybody's prepared to pay attention to it, everybody's prepared to get their hands dirty, then they will be working together. How does it apply? Well, I hope I've been, been laying on the application all of the way through. But, you know, that's our church vision. I don't believe we are all gathered here just to fulfill that incidentally because I think there is a vision of what's going on in Lower Stockton. We are part of that as well. But what we are seeking to be is a growing, Christ-centered community led by the Holy Spirit, worshiping God and making disciples. And if stuff detracts from that, then we have to look very seriously at it and say, should we be bothering with that, this particular dispute? that particular project? What's that got to do with being a worshipping community, a growing Christ-centered community? What's that got to do with making disciples? What's it got to do with the worship of God? We, we must ask those questions. Nehemiah's project was clear. It was building a wall. I believe our project is clear. How it works out, well, that's what we have to discern, and then when we've discerned, we do it. And praise God at, at the number of things that, that we're involved with as a church community. Praise God at, at the new initiatives that have, have happened, one after the other. Sometimes it almost seems like three on the same day, you know, over the last few years. And it's busy, and it's difficult sometimes. But if it's fulfilling that, then it's right. Then it's right. Now, as we go into chapter 4, we'll see how it's very easy to get distracted from that and, and ways in which we can defend ourselves from that. But this is the vision. And we have immediate needs that people need to be praying over. More help with the youth work. Eventually, a, a youth leader, I hope, in our, in our church. As, as Helen goes, we've got to sort of group that all together now in a different way. There's a pressing need there. Pressing need for more cell group leaders and for, for the cell groups, the small groups, some of them to start multiplying, you know, dividing. That's what cells do so that there can be growth. Great that there were 90 people in our small group meeting the, the other day. Well, there weren't 90, but there were 90 in small groups. But there were a huge number there as we met in the hall. Fantastic. But by next year, I want it to be 200. Because it is, you know, and Tim and I were talking about this, it's the cells, it's the small groups of the church that actually fire the growth. Because it's there 
that people are made into disciples. You will never become a disciple just by listening to sermons. I, as you know, I mean, I spend hours preaching at you and, and you, you, you take it all on the chin. Well done. But, but just that alone is not going to make disciples. It's in the discussion, it's in the nitty-gritty, it's in the challenging of each other's lives. It's in the praying for each other. It's the release of spiritual gifting. And all of that is happening in different ways and at different levels in our small groups. And we need more and more and more. And as we start a new Alpha course and a new Start course um, after Christmas, so we need people who are inviting people. You know, the, the gates, the ins and the outs. They won't come, very few of them, just because we advertise. These are the pressing needs as we build the church here. Many others. I'm not going to go through the list. But be praying. I don't believe that God brought us here to run a church that's cosy and just happy and keeping people happy and giving them what they want. I also don't believe that God brought me here to upset everybody. But this church will continue to look at its goings out and its comings in under my leadership. Because we have to be passionate about mission. There is a world out there that does not know Jesus. And we don't know who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. We don't know that. But I do know there's only one way that people can be sure, and that's by having Jesus in their life. And I want to see more and more people living their lives with that assurance. Isn't that what bringing the kingdom in is all about? Yeah, other stuff that we do. But at its heart, that's what we're about. Saying to people, you can have a relationship with the God who loves you. Come and find out. Or let me tell you. Let me help you come into that relationship. That's our task. That's our particular building project. And the church has been at it for 2,000 years with varying degrees of success. <laughs> and I believe a time is coming where God is really wanting to move at a pace. And we need to be there, led by the Spirit, to be part of it. Otherwise, he will pass us over. And it doesn't matter how beautiful our services are, how beautiful our building, we will be missed out but we won't be, will we? <laughs> we won't be, because we are those who are willing to step up. And let's do that now. Please stand. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would now come and touch our hearts and lives And we are those who do wish to step up to the plate. And if that's you, let's just have eyes shut, I think. Because if that's you, willing to be in that place where you will do what God tells you, then you raise your hand now. Because I want to pray particularly for you. Come down, Lord, by your Holy Spirit on your servants who are, are making that commitment. They've probably made it before, but they... Make it anew to be disciples, to be filled with the Spirit, and to go and to do the things you want them to do as we seek to build your church. Send down the gifting that they need. Send down your Spirit. You may feel a stirring within you, which may be a new gifting that God's wanting to give to you. And if that's the case, then get prayer with people at the end of the service to pray into that. And uh, as ever, we have a number of things that 
God has been speaking to us about through the deeper group. We'll listen to those now as well. And if any of these are you, if the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, this is for you, then make sure that you go for prayer. As we listened, we had somebody who had a feeling of floating. The words of the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, felt someone who's not sure which path to take. The Lord is saying, focus on me. I am carrying you. This and everything will be all right. And then we had a picture of hands lifting up, perhaps a person, saw a bright void and the words, new beginnings. And then another picture, a piece of wood, planed, but still with a splinter. Then the wood was smooth, varnished, but you could still see where the splinter had been. However imperfect we are, God can make us perfect, spoilt or marred, transformed. Image, people feeling distant, need reassuring that God loves them and that Jesus walks with them in this time of Advent. And then another picture, a cold, cold room and a figure sitting alone in the middle of the room, surrounded by doors with handles on the inside, but not on the outside. Alone, cold and trapped, but there is a way out. And then the words, there is no time without God. Time begins with God and ends with God. And then Romans 7, verse 12. No, sorry, Romans 1, verse 12. Mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Feeling of God's omnipresence. God is touching this moment and reminds us to be reliant on him. Not to look elsewhere. He is putting us to him, pulling us to him. And then somebody had a pain in the back, and it could be the lungs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those that spend that time in God's presence, listening for his voice. And again, can I reiterate, if, if, if any of those speak to you, then you must get prayer. <laughs> don't, don't, don't think, oh, well, no, I won't. You, because you know, God is wanting to do something in your life. We'll have a little bit of worship music, if we may now. Um, and I want to encourage you to go for prayer. Uh, if anything has um, touched you tonight in a particular way, uh, or as ever, if you prefer just to sit quietly and to receive from God, to think things over, then do that.